Carol Malinsky, and today we'll be in conversation with Art Barter, founder of SLI and CEO of both SLI and Datron World Communications. And we want to talk about chapter two of his book, The Art of Servant Leadership 2. Great. How are you doing? Hey, good morning, Carol. Are you raring to I'm, go? I'm, I'm raring to go, yeah, in rare form, <laughs> good. as we say. So, good. Um, Good to be back in the studio with you. Yeah, we always love uh, doing podcasts with you. We do, yeah. It's it's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. And we just want to remind you that you can send in questions to the Institute at any time. Any question about servant leadership, and we'll respond to them um, during the podcast programs. So just keep that in mind. Our goal in these conversations will be to travel chapter by chapter through the Art of Servant Leadership too, because it really is a guide for implementing servant leadership and changing the culture of an organization. Um, so we're going to start with Chapter 2, and Art, I'm going to quote you first. Okay, good. Yeah. What I so say? So here's what you said. <laughs> if we are to be successful in our goal of inspiring and equipping those we influence to be the best that they can be, Education must be a constant, ongoing process. You make this point at the beginning of Chapter Mm 2, and you go on to say that we must educate to the point of ownership, and that means a change of heart. Change of heart, yeah. So how do we bring about this change of heart in employees as we educate them? Yeah, you know, it's interesting to watch how people train and then how people receive that train. And Mm. so Mm -hmm. the one thing I've talked about before and I caution everybody is that if you're training a group of leaders, each leader will receive that training at a different level, at different understanding, and will look at it based on where they are in their own thinking, uh, et cetera. So you may have someone who you train a concept and you may have 30 different opinions of what that concept is, right? Mm -hmm. So the important thing is you keep educating and you keep passing on knowledge. And this is really about passing on the knowledge you have as a leader, but also bringing in perspectives from outside the company uh, in education and it's different perspectives, both from an educational standpoint, people who are teaching concepts but also the application of those concepts. And I think where you impact the heart the most is when you apply that knowledge in a way for the better good, for the betterment of the company, and you do that in accordance with your values and your mission and purpose. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't make any sense to go into an education program that doesn't support your values, doesn't support your mission and purpose as a company. And I think when you combine those two, and when you're really living your purpose, people will see that you're for real in what you're trying to train and educate. And when they see you change as a leader based on the education, they start to change 
how they look at the education, not just as a, a task for me to check off the list that I did this training, that now they go, well, hey, you know what? The leadership team here is really serious about this change. The CEO is about, serious about the change. So let's look at this, and because if he's willing to look at education and change his behavior and apply that education in in day to day aspect of running the business, then why shouldn't we? Yeah. And so when a leader changes his behavior based on what they've learned, and you know me, Carol, I have I have multiple mentors. I have people right. I talk to. Um, I think we talked a little bit once on a podcast about Tim, the gentleman that helps me deal with some of my old experiences and old yes. files. And so I have different people for different things. And that's always important on my calendar. I Those are the things that I don't want to change. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I belong to a CEO group uh, that's part of the convene organization. I keep that on my calendar, third Wednesday of every month. Mm -hmm. That day is dedicated to that CEO group because the value I get out of it is I get different perspectives, but I also get ideas on how to apply what I'm trying to learn and become better as a leader. So mm -hmm. I think when you put it to work and you're serious about putting that education to work and you give people the opportunity to learn and implement it, make mistakes, teach them a little bit more about implementation and pass the knowledge you have on to people, that's when you're going to impact their, their heart. Yeah. yeah. And Art, when you talk about education, in this case, are you talking about, um, you know, the, the leadership realm or servant leadership itself or um, all of the training and education that has to go on in, in a company? In other words, even down to the detail of how to do your job better. Yeah, you know, in, in our business, we have compliance training. Right. Safety training. Right. So in that example, if you do safety training every year, but don't have a safety committee that goes around and performs either monthly inspections or quarterly inspections, right. then it's just training to do training and you're checking off the box. Yeah. So people will go, okay, I, I have to take this training. And if they don't see you serious in between those trainings, so it's usual, usually annual training. Uh, we do the same thing with Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, mm -hmm. FCPA training. Mm -hmm. It's We have to do it. We do business in the international marketplace. If we do that training and expect people to follow that training, if they see the leaders of the company not following that training in day-to-day -day application of it, they're going to sit back and go, I don't, if they're not going to be serious about it, I don't have to be serious about it. So you apply that to any type of training you do. If, if it's diversity training, um, if it's sexual harassment training, FCPA, we do export, um, our products export, so we do export training every year. And you have to back it up with day-to-day -day application, mm -hmm. or it's just education. Right. And, you know, I, I went to college, got two degrees at the same time. Um, I will tell you, I, I was focused on accounting. I have a great big old thick cost accounting book. Yeah. I still have it. <laughs> now, have I ever opened it to apply it in the real world? Absolutely not. <laughs> so I've learned how to take tests. I, I, I learned some things in college, but no one taught me about a different way to lead. Mm -hmm. It was all about how do you fit into 
the world at that time, the business world. And the business world at the time was all power-based. Right. And mostly power-based. And so that's what we learned. That's what we taught. And so we applied that when we got out of, out of school. Uh, but it's, you have to have the education. And what I tell people sometimes is, if you have a degree, and I don't care if it's an A degree or a BS, BA, <clears throat> to me, that tells me that you're going to commit to something and you're going to complete it. Right. All right. What you get out of that four years is totally up to you. But I know that you started and you made a commitment for four years and you finished it. And so... In their heart, I know that what they start will finish. Now, not a, may not apply to everything, because in college we get to pick what we want to focus on because that's what we like. Yeah. Whether our gift is really in that area, we find that out in the business world, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I and mean, you and I have both seen that. So. <laughs> yeah. And then there's education, life education, where you have experiences of. Sometimes you apply that knowledge and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And um, there's a TV show I like to, to watch, and uh, this dad's daughter decided to apply some leadership application based on what she learned from the book. And so she went into the store where her dad works. She wanted to solve a problem between two employees, so she pulls out the book and goes through step-by-step step of what they're supposed to do, and it doesn't turn out the way the book said it would turn out. Yeah. And, you know, if we educate to own the right way, people, when they get into that and apply it, and it doesn't turn out the way they they think it should, they know to start over again and find the way that will work, not just throw up your hands and say, well, it didn't happen in the book, so I don't know what to do next. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Great. Um, Can you share with us what you've discovered about educating this is close to what we just talked about, educating emerging leaders and how they react to standard methods of teaching. Yeah, so, you know, I have a story with my son. Um, I, I was attending, belonging to a group called the uh, CEN, Chief Executive Network, uh-huh. and they were another group of CEOs that, in that group, we broke, it was a large domestic uh, organization, but what I liked about it is we broke into similar type businesses in breakouts. And they had their annual leadership conference. I think it was down in, in um, South Carolina one year. And I asked my son to attend. And at the time, he was probably in his um, mid to late 20s. And we walked into the room. We got our three-ring notebook. And guess what? Uh, we sat down at the table. Me being the older person between the two of us, I started to open up the three-ring binder, look at the agenda. I wanted to see how we are going to take notes, see if I needed to get a pad out of my briefcase. and So I'm going through the book. He, he sits there and doesn't even open the book. <laughs> so we get in the morning session, and I've got the book out. I'm taking notes, you know, and he's sitting there listening. He hasn't even opened his three-ring binder. And so I'm going, I'm paying for this. Were you horrified? I, I paid over $1,000 for him to come. I'm going, at least open up the book. So at lunchtime, we ate lunch at our table and um, with some other people. And then we got talking about, you know, son, I pay a lot of money. And are, are you going to get involved in this training program? 
I said, I'm kind of interested in why you're not in gays. And so he told me, he says, let's go out by the pool and talk. I said, okay, let's do that. So we went out by the pool at the hotel. And he says, dad, I walked in the room and we entered through the back of the room. And he said, I saw all these men, mostly men, dressed in gray slacks, <laughs> dark blue sport coats. And he said, most of the men that were sitting already, he said, most of them had this ball spot in the back of their head. <laughs> and he said, I walked in and looked at the dress that you do, gray yeah. slacks, yeah. blue, and most of it was either a white or blue shirt, no ties. He saw all the, the heads that had this little bald spot in the back, which I have. And he said, this is old school. Now, he made that determination within the first 10 minutes of entering that room. And that mind was shut off. He already made a decision. He wasn't going to open up a three-ring binder. He wasn't going to carry it home <laughs> so he could read it. And he was afraid he might catch something. What I learned from that was here's a young wife who decided in the first 10 minutes whether or not he would learn anything from the day and a half we were going to spend with this group. Now, he's a military historian, is what he majored in. He loves history, military history. There was a general who was speaking the next day. And because of his interest in military history, he was very interested in the general. He was the only speaker he went up and talked to after he talked. The only one. And that's when I started to really think about the training we do. We have to meet people where they are. Mm where they are in their journey, and also where they are in experience and age. And so what worked for my generation doesn't work for his generation. Right. And he's the text me generation. I call it the text me generation. And if we're going to give him some training, it's got to be on an electronic device. It can't be some old guys in gray slacks, blue, blue jackets, talking without a slide deck or a slide deck that has all it has is is written language on it mm -hmm. i'm gonna lose him and so i really started to to look at and understand that i needed to meet people where they were first and that may involve a personal conversation before i get into the training conversation mm. right interesting so if i show interest in that life yeah now i have a mind that's open to hear what I have to say. Mm -hmm. Now, they may apply it differently than I do, and I would fully expect that. So that education process, once you get to that point and you're serving that life, you're going to learn as much from them as you're trying to pass on back to mm -hmm. them. So mm -hmm. I love that because it's a two-way street. I get to learn from that generation through that relationship. So um, it is a different way of teaching, and when you have a room full of boomers all the way down to millennials um and you know those are general general age groups but if you're you know when we do training at sli we ask what's the average age of the group uh -huh. because that will tell us what's the best way to approach that group and the lower that average gets we have to really change the way we approach and think because we want to make the most out of that training period whether it's half the day full day a couple of days and we have to rearrange our thinking to meet them where they are to help them 
put that education to work when they get back to their organization. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, that that can also help in this something that I know is very important to you, which is getting these these different generations within an organization to really cooperate with one another and release knowledge. Exactly. And ask for information if you need it mm-hmm. um, kind of thing. And that's, you know, when you meet people where they're at, it certainly helps that cause. It does. And, you know, one of the biggest challenges organizations have is getting people my age in their 60s to trust the organization that if I pass that knowledge on to a 20 or 30-year-old or even 40-year-old, I pass that information on, help them get better, that the company isn't going to fire me because I'm no longer useful. Mm -hmm. And that's the trust part that corporations haven't really earned the trust of the older generation because knowledge is power and we've been taught you hold on to that knowledge yeah because i can't trust the corporation that once i pass it on that they won't let me go right 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 and and that knowledge is so important for the next 10 years we can pass on so much of our knowledge and experience that just because you passed on the knowledge or the technical side of your business doesn't mean you can't help those those younger leaders apply that knowledge better and faster mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. yeah art you know you had an interesting experience when trying to add value to your leaders at daytron um could you tell us about that experience yeah you know when we bought the company uh daytron in late 2004 we started down the path of implementing servant leadership and so i just thought the idea is bring in training we'll train the leaders and they'll get it they'll <laughs> just be that. get it yeah I mean, the CEO of the company, I'd never been a CEO before, so I was learning in that position. I'd been in senior uh, level positions, but never in the CEO position. And I just kept filling people with education. What I wasn't getting was that's what I wanted to teach them. I never asked them what they wanted to learn. Mm, that's okay. a good, wow, yeah. So what do you want to learn from this? Now, when I first got into Daytron, every year was a different leadership concept, right? Every yes. different program, different. You were there before I started. Yes. so And so the leadership team said, well, this servant leadership stuff is just, we'll just wait it out for 12 months, 10 to 12 months. We'll be on to the next thing mm-hmm. that the leaders want to do. So I had to build some credibility there that I was really serious about this. And I think I did two things. One was I shared with the team one day what drives me and why I love Daytron so much and how we serve people, help people, and what really gets me going. All uh-huh. right? And I think I had experience in Zimbabwe helping people there. Yeah. And, you know, those stories of when you go in the field and help your customers, people don't get to see that. So you need to come back and tell tell the stories and share how you've impacted people. Um, and I just assume I was a CEO. I declared we were going to do this servant leadership culture. Mm-hmm. And I think I turned around after a year, and I think I found like three or four out of the 35 leaders were standing behind me. The other ones were on the sidelines. <laughs> yeah. And I think we were at a quarterly offsite over in Carlsbad. And I got frustrated. 
I'm, in, I'm inside going, how come you guys don't get this? What? what oh. So I shared what drove me personally and in business. And then I said, you know what we're going to do? I want you guys to break up into three groups. And I want you to come up with the 10 characteristics that you think a servant leader should be. And so we went off. I didn't participate in any group. All right. So everybody broke into three groups. My senior leaders, directors, managers, they all worked together. They came back and everybody presented their list. And the next step I said, okay, guys, now you need to work as a leadership team to get that down to one list. Mm -hmm. So I walked away from that too. I didn't participate in that. And the group came up with 10 items that they felt a servant leader was all about. And I said, okay, now we're going to do a 360 review on those 10 characteristics of everybody in the room. So you guys are going to review me on those 10 characteristics. And I'm going to review you. So I got a whole bunch of reviews. Everybody else got reviews. And I said, then we're going to share with the group the two items that we were rated the lowest on. Now, it scared the loving daylights out of some people. Terrifying. So I said, I have to go first. I'm the leader. Yeah. I'll go first. Yeah. But what I started to realize, and this took me about three or four years down the road, is that was the point in which I transferred the ownership of that culture to the leadership team because I wasn't telling them what it was. They were telling themselves. And you guys, you were part of that team. You mm -hmm. came up with the 10 things that you felt right. servant leaders should be. Now that's changed over time because we've matured. But that's when I look back and say, that's when I transferred the ownership of the culture in servant leadership to the leadership team. And I think that's when I saw some people jump on board and get into it because it was their input. It wasn't mine. I didn't right. bring a whole program to the table and say this, 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 and this. I tried, but I didn't get any followers. Well, I also think are just having experienced that uh, activity and knowing how much it affected people, the, the 360s in particular. Mm -hmm. um, it, that exercise, as simple as it may seem, did so many things mm -hmm. um, in that area of uh, sort of internal education, and one of them was accountability. Right. And all of a sudden, you're right, we were a part of the transformation process through that accountability. Right. And, I mean, people got, I, I don't even know what to call it, but we had to be real with one another, mm -hmm, right. right? When we evaluated one another, and when you got, if you got a bad evaluation, you would meet with that person to try and understand why they evaluated you so poorly. Right, right. So a lot of walls got broken down right. through that process, yep. <laughs> a whole lot. And I don't think the management team was, and this for the better, they weren't. They were changed through that process. They were, they were changed. And I think you know, I spent a couple of years educating. Yeah. What I thought servant leadership was. I, and I had all the support books, and I think we, I'm not sure when we started reading books every quarter, uh, but that was all coming from the outside and what I thought servant leadership was. Mm -hmm. So we, we started that education, spent a couple of years, but the transfer of the ownership on how you applied that education at Datron 
that was the point we transferred ownership to the leadership team. Yeah. And one of the, you know, there's a whole lot of things we learned, but one of the things that hit me was one of the leaders was from um, Taiwan. And so he rated me, and I forget which one it was, he rated me really low. And I went, why did he rate me? Everybody else rated me fairly high. Why yeah. He rated me yeah. very low. And so I did what you talked about. I sat down and talked with him. What I found out was that phrase, those words, meant something totally different in his culture mm -hmm. than it did here in the United States. Wow. Good thing you asked. And so <laughs> when you're we're multicultural, international, right. you also have to take in the cultures that you're trying to teach mm -hmm. and what you're asking people to do. Because yeah. some cultures, you don't challenge the leaders. You don't talk and engage in that relationship. You just do what you're told. And so right. there's some cultural things, too, that you have to put into that transfer of ownership. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think you learned that also as um, you provided servant leadership training for every employee. Everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we have quite a mixed culture um, on our manu in our manufacturing areas. Mm -hmm. So um, that became important to try and understand those differences. It, it was, and until we started training, and you know, we'd have some people English. They they could speak English. They could they could read it, but when you were asking them to learn about servant leadership in a word that we think is very common, right, isn't very common in their in the culture they came mm -hmm. from, and so there was some translation that went in along the way. And I think at one point, we actually told people who were uncomfortable, we asked them to share their stories, et mm -hmm. cetera. We said, hey, if you don't want to share your story, that's okay. Because you're in an environment where most of the stuff you can't understand and somebody's got to translate it for you. They're great at what they do. They're hired for the right job. They're just not proficient in English. And that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. So the training has to reflect that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so here's an interesting formula that you use in the book. It says education, or academics, plus experience equal influence plus heart equals influence squared. Squared, yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So can you explain the idea behind that formula? Yeah, you know, when I was working at... Um, Disneyland, uh, when I was in college, I worked in um, what was called revenue accounting. And there were a lot of college uh, students that worked there because we got to start at 6.30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And our first task was to get all the data sheets from the day before as far as attendance and registers and everything that happened. Get that all tabulated with control totals. And so we could submit it to EDP. You know, we didn't have just what we have today. We had to go give stuff to, we called EDP at the time. And we had to do that under pressure. Now, <clears throat> we hired a young man. He was the same age as, as I was. And there were a couple of us that we knew how to run 10-key calculators. And people listening don't know what a 10-key is. You know, you, I know, I'm showing my age it's right shocking. now. No, it's okay. It's not as you know, small calculators we have It today. was a big machine. It was a big machine. <laughs> and this young man who sat next to me, he was a straight-A student, A-plus, did everything well. The young man couldn't run 
an adding machine to save his life. <laughs> and I always thought back then, I said, I didn't know it was the application side of that education at the time. I just thought, here's a young man who knows how to take tests. Mm -hmm. He knows how to learn the information. He knows how to take tests. What he's lacking is the experience to apply that in the real world. In the real world. Yeah. And so education from an academic standpoint is important. You need to learn. You can learn from people who teach it, PhDs, master's students. They know how to teach. Just caution if they have, don't have experience in managing people and you're learning leadership from them. You need to get some, in, some experience in, in leading people. It doesn't mean that the, the professor or the teacher is bad. It's just, it, it's missing that experience factor. So the leaders I've seen most effective are the people who are, go through the education process, continue to learn, but they apply that in the day-to-day -day life in an effective manner. They, they're, they don't become lost. Um, and so I look at education plus experience will give you a level of influence with people around you. Mm -hmm. They'll say, this guy came from the real world. He also has education, so he's going to influence me. What I started to realize is when you throw the heart in there and you start impacting the heart of that person, you can double your influence by applying your heart to the academics and experience you have. Mm. So in a power world, education experience, we tell people what to do. Yeah. In the servant leadership world, education, experience, we help people get better and perform well in their jobs and be successful. Um, different motivation. And I've seen it over and over again that once you touch the heart of the employee, their engagement, their performance will shock you mm -hmm. on, on what they will do for the company. Right. I have people today will tell me, ex-military people that come to work for us because we're in that business. And one gentleman tells me, I, I'm, I'm at Daytron for life. We like the purpose. We like the values. We like that we, we live by it. They love the charitable work we do, and we let employees decide who we're going to help and how we're going to help them with the money the company sets aside. So they get to live the mission and purpose. They see us living that with our customers. Our customers know that we serve them from the heart and not from the pocketbook. Mm -hmm. And when customers see your organization from the heart, you're going to have twice the influence minimum with that customer. Yeah. And your competition won't understand what's going on. And so that gets down to your people. They may have an opportunity to go to work for a larger company, better pay, maybe some better benefits. We, we haven't run into better benefits, but... The big companies, when they want to buy people, they can buy people. And I've seen people turn those opportunities down because they want the culture that we have at and within the Daytron companies of servant leadership. Mm -hmm. They don't want to go back to that power world. They've been there. They've done that. And they don't want to have any part of it. And so it sets you apart, not only in the marketplace, but with your employees. Yeah. 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 So you throw your heart in there. And the leaders who, when you mention heart and showing your heart, to your employees, it scares the daylights out of you. That's okay because we we all came from that perspective. 
You mean I have to be transparent? I have to tell people I don't know what to do. I have to tell people I don't have the answers here. You guys do the work. You tell me what's best to do. That's tough to do when you've been raised in an environment of leaders tell people what to do mm -hmm. and get those results every three months. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So let's change the subject a little bit and go to one that's, uh, I think, both of our our favorites or a close favorite. Um, you employ small groups at Daytron and SLI. What is the story behind this leadership tool? <laughs> and why did you decide to employ them? Well, you know, we had quarterly management meetings. And, Yen, you know, one of my biggest frustrations with, is with people who don't participate. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. People that sit there quiet, mm -hmm. they doodle on their pad, they look at the table. And when I see that, I observe people and I go, I've lost them. And then I started to realize I never had them <laughs> in the first place. Yeah. And so when we would talk about the culture and try to learn and discuss what it meant to us, there was a certain percentage of that room, they weren't going to talk because they weren't comfortable being in a room with a CEO. And the three letters behind my name scare people. And... Um, and I understand that because it's based on their past experiences mm -hmm. with people at my level. So right. I, I have to show them something different. Um, and I decided that I was not going to be able to pass on knowledge, education, and have real conversations on their challenges in transforming themselves into a servant leader in that open environment where I had 30, 35, 40 people. That wasn't a safe environment for them. Mm -hmm. And so we decided to start small groups. And you and I have been in small groups outside the company, right? And mm -hmm. there's just so much that goes on in small groups because it creates that safe environment for people to really talk about their challenges and to share information that helps each other get better. So when we started small groups, I didn't have a plan. I just said, I want you guys to get in groups of, I think we said six to 10. Mm -hmm. And I want you to meet once a month for an hour. And they said, well, what's our agenda? I said, there's no agenda. Well, what do you want us to report on? I said, I don't want you to report on anything. Well, what are we supposed to do? And I said, you're supposed to talk about your challenges in this, in this culture change we're making and learn from each other and help each other get better. And I think at that time, the only rule we had is we tried to keep your direct boss out of your small group. Yes. Right? Yeah. So we didn't want the, the that relationship in the small group because we thought we would right. hinder the conversation. So that's why we started. I wanted to create a safe environment for people to get better without having the CEO or a senior leader in the room or the direct boss mm -hmm. so they could learn from each other and talk about their problems without worrying about how it was going to impact their career at the company. Yeah. Right. Um, so we, we did that. I think we started seeing some great results um, of people transforming a little bit faster because I think you guys helped each other out. Right. Just like I do in my CEO mm -hmm. small group is, hey, we come talk about the problem we're having. And I asked the group, hey, do you have any ideas for me? 
Yeah, because yeah. many times, as you know, we don't see, we're seeing from our perspective. Mm-hmm. And we don't always see the truth. Mm-hmm. But if you can get some input from other folks, you may learn things that are invaluable to um, you know, help you in your leadership. It, it is. And, and I think the other thing we discovered was the remote leaders that we had outside of uh, our main yeah. uh, facility. It helped draw them in and feel part of the team. Right. Right. So they weren't out there all by themselves. They actually had a group that mm-hmm. they would get together with mm-hmm. uh, over the phone. And so uh, I think we were three or four years into that. And, you know, like good leaders, we go, okay, well, maybe we need to shake that up a little bit, you know, get different people in different yeah. groups. Yeah. And I brought that up at a quarterly meeting and it got shot down. <laughs> no, we like the people we're with. I, right. I, we don't want to change. I said, okay, if you guys want to change, you guys decide. Yeah. If you want to join a different small so group. So the, the only changes that are made are now are when we have new people and they have to be, you know, they, they have to find their group. Yeah. And so a new leader comes in, they go into a small group right. and that helps them understand the culture so much faster. Oh, Definitely. Than just reading and listening and, you know, they, they create that relationship with their peers and that really creates that safe learning environment that everyone needs. Yeah. I have my safe environment with my outside CEO group. I know they're not going to judge me. Right. They want to help me. Now, most of the conversations I have with that group, I can't have inside the company. Sure. Because when a CEO is struggling... Uh, with what to do in a, in a company, that just scares people. I was just going to say. It scares them. <laughs> you can't stand there and go, oh, gosh, I don't know what to well, do. <laughs> but I, I need a group of people that understand what I'm going through and help me get better and give me ideas and challenge my thinking mm-hmm. and say, Art, you told me that, but it doesn't make sense. Here's the questions I have unanswered. Or, hey, I think I can really help you there because I just went through that last year. Mm-hmm. And those are the things you get out of small groups that go, I'm really struggling with this one servant leadership behavior. Anybody got any ideas on how yeah. I could yeah. understand that better? So yeah. you know better what went on small groups because I never attended a small group <laughs> that you guys had. I, I always have and my small groups outside. Will. And I never will. <laughs> right, exactly. I don't want to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, before we go any farther, let me just remind folks that if you'd like to pick up a copy of The Art of Servant Leadership 2, you can do that by going to our website, www.servantleadershipinstitute.com. Now let's, again, switch our gears a little bit and talk a bit about building team memories, one of uh, my yes. favorites. Yep. And when we have this discussion, Art, let's let's try to um, bring in some ideas uh, for those folks that ha- do have limited budgets. Yeah, okay. All right. That'd be great. So, you know, I talked about sharing your experiences with customers. Yeah. All right. And when we, I think, third or fourth year, we started having off-site leadership meetings for a week. And we always would develop a game to play during that week or multiple games to play. And, you know, we would bring in people that would hit, would hide cachet stuff around the resort. 
Mm-hmm. Um, first time we did that, we didn't realize the resort was 65 acres. <laughs> so it was spread I over know. 65 acres, I right? I still haven't yeah. forgiven you. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> and, and people were sweating and huffing and puffing. And um, and that one was relatively expensive. I think we yeah. built a house, uh, and then you had to sell a house, but you only had certain materials. Right. That you could get more like little huts <laughs> and you know we, we we all learned from that and it was done on the hotel grounds so we had to get permission and so you're in this open area people are watching you and that helped our team get to know people in resort outside of our our team so um i think the one event we did one year that got a little carried away was uh, it was the year that uh, somebody was getting married. You remember that one, Carol? And oh, the couple got into an argument, and then part of the the play was to come back and you know make up and yeah. teach people on how to deal with those difficult uh, decisions. And it was all playful, but we had some people at the resort thought that this married couple was dressed in a white dress and in a suit. We're really in an That's argument right. and really having, and, and so we realized we had to be careful. So you can come up with all kinds of team building events. There's companies out there, but the, the best team building we, event we had cost us less than a thousand dollars. And the second best cost me, I think two freighter ships that were made out of Legos, yeah. right? And so the first one was, um, we learned in the speed of trust that one of the examples Stephen M. R. Covey talks about is pit stops. Mm-hmm. And so we decided to buy two of these battery powered cars you buy for kids. So we bought two of them. It cost us less than $1,000. We had it shipped to the location where we were at. We were in Hawaii that year. We had it shipped to that location. Again, not very expensive. Our biggest challenge was convincing the hotel that we could set up a racetrack in the ballroom. And I think the way we convinced them was we, we weren't going to bring a racetrack in. We, all we needed were tables that we would turn on the side. Mm-hmm. And so we built a racetrack in the ballroom. Now, it wasn't big. And so we had a race with two different teams. And we required them to have pit stops. Now, we two-day event. The first day, the teams had to build the car. The car. Yeah. And I remember we kind of mixed up the teams on purpose. We had one group of engineers, manufacturing people. They had all the parts <laughs> laid out. They had all the tools laid out. They had everything laid out before they started in. And then the visionary um, people who weren't really into details, they just jumped in and started building. Yeah. Didn't organize, didn't it? And I sat back and went, well, this is pretty interesting. Um, and I probably don't want that detail team over here to be part of our marketing team, mm-hmm. right? I want a marketing team with, that has vision. But they put it together the first day, had a blast. Um, second day, we raced them. Now, what comes out of those experiences when you start racing and they have to do a pit stop and change tires is, guess what? You're creating memories for the team that they're going to laugh about for years. Mm-hmm. And I remember we had so many tire changes that I think we tore the threads oh. on the axle. Yeah. 
So the team got the lightest person in the team, picked up the car and ran the car around the track. Now that wasn't planned, but the first thing I would always do after we had those experiences is we would sit back and reflect. And I had what I called the green book. Remember mm -hmm. the green book? Yep. I would write down the funny things that the team did. And then when we got together either afterwards or dinner that night, part of my talk is to share my observations of the funny things that people do. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, I like to tell jokes, but back at that time, I just had to share stories because they were so funny. Yeah. If we just had a sit down learning and have somebody come in and talk, you wouldn't have those experiences. So the second one we did uh, Lego building but we set up the team building event to replicate our business model on how we got how we quoted what the requirements were we used electronic devices to change the requirements from the customer change deadlines we mimicked what we go through in the business mm -hmm. and what came out of the shipbuilding was one of the teams decided that they needed to see if the boat would float now it wasn't in the test procedure and across the street from where we did this, they had a pond. And the team went over, put it in the pond, floated it, took a video of it, brought it back. And the other team went, well, if they gotta make theirs, I, we gotta go see if ours float. Now, that wasn't a requirement that was on the team, but they had so much fun with that, that it was a great day for us. Mm -hmm. And it taught people about the process we go through from the initial quote all the way to sign off acceptance and shipping and we just use lego mottos of a freighter ship yeah. and again you started with the process then you had to build it then you had to explain it you had to get quality i was a quality inspector i had a lot of fun with that um, <laughs> yeah. and those two events cost us probably less than fifteen hundred dollars yeah to put on yeah. outside of the time that our leaders had yeah. the best times we ever had so we spent a lot of money on team building. We spent very little. And what we find is when you get creative and the less expensive you go and the more it relates to your business, the more fun you're going to have. Yeah. Yeah. And the more memories and, you're going to create. And, uh, you know, we also did some service projects yes. through that process that I know I'll certainly never forget. So keep in mind, listeners out there, that there are organizations that need your help. Mm -hmm. um, so... You can always um, find some kind of volunteer activity that you can do with your team. Yeah, there's a small island over in Hawaii. I forget the name. Was it Lanai? Lanai. And uh, they don't have any stop uh, stoplights. Uh, it's a very small island. Some of the people have never left the island. And I think the first year we went to that island, we painted the library. Mm -hmm. Library needed painted, we painted the library. And then afterwards, we had lunch or lunch, we had lunch, and we brought in one of the people who had never been off the island to talk about their experiences. And uh, she was probably in her 80s. Oh, she had to have been. And I watched my group stay so focused on this individual because there was a lot of wisdom there, even though she had never been off the island. Mm -hmm. And we went back and finished the library, and people were, it was next to a school, they come, what are you guys doing? Well, we're just painting your library for you. And we had a lot of fun with that. We built T-shirts. And I think we went back there two years later. We ended up painting the Senior, senior center. center. 
And so wherever we went to have our leadership, we tried to find a service project the team could do for a day or half a day to give back to the communities that we're having our meetings in. Mm -hmm. And that was always something special. Yeah. 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 And one of the points that you make, Art, um, in the book is that servant leaders should be continual learners. What are some ways that we can bring education into the workplace to influence servant leaders? Um, I probably have a couple of different advice uh, uh, points for people. Is there are some great, great leadership people out there. Of course, Ken Blanchard, John Maxwell, Stephen M. Covey, <clears throat> excuse me. And what I try to get people to understand is you think that they're not affordable. Mm -hmm. And I think when I first started, um, when I first met John Maxwell, well, first Ken Blanchard, he, he spoke at our, our conference one year and he didn't charge us a dime. He said, I would love to come talk about servant leadership. So we didn't pay him. He didn't want any money. So then I said, okay, well, that's pretty cool. Um, and then we got into John Maxwell. I met him um, at an event back in Atlanta and became friends with him. We invited him to Hawaii. He was a speaker there. <clears throat> and, you know, we thought he had such a great impact on the organization that I said, okay, what is your cost for one, one a day to come in? And what is the cost if I sign up for three years? And I'm going, <clears throat> I got... 25 or 30 percent off <laughs> by signing up for three years yeah it was a done deal yeah and what i liked about john is he came in and he knew the people's names every year mm -hmm. <clears throat> he made it personal he helped people understand what ceos go through he helped people understand how they could get better as individuals and people had a big impact on the team uh at the time so don't think people like that john maxwell uh, Ken Blanchard, Stephen M. R. Covey, uh, John Izzo worked with us mm -hmm. one year. Um, they are affordable. And if you look at the cost on a per person basis, yeah. instead of I got to write this check for 25000 you can bring some high level ex experts in their field in and share their knowledge. Um, and then there are people who will share their experiences and how they apply the knowledge mm -hmm. and the challenges they ran into, what worked, what didn't work, and they'll share their knowledge of, of what it, the organization went through and their people went through when they tried to implement that education in the organization. So <clears throat> do both. If you can, you can bring some people in, um, and pay a few extra bucks on it and train 50 people instead of 20 people, I think you ought to look at that. Don't think it's out of range. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and bring in people that have applied the knowledge and made it work and have real results in the real business world, and that will help you. And the, the last bit of advice is when companies get into difficult times, guess what's the first thing they cut? Education. They start with training. And I am a big believer that when times are tough, you need to do more training because you need to help them through the tough times. And the best way to help them through the tough times is just continue to be there 
bring in education, have discussions about how you're applying it, share information on where you're at and where you're headed. I think that's the time you do more training. And it, you know, I've told some companies where I say, you know what, if you knocked out your executive lunches and you told people that you were going to reimburse them with customers where there's liquor, or you're not going to send people business class, you're going to do economy from this point forward. Instead of letting that money flow to the bottom line, reinvest it in your employees. Mm -hmm. All right. But there are a lot of opportunities to cut other places than in training and education. And we've got to change that mindset. You know, look at, start with the executives. And if you got to take a 10% pay cut, take that pay cut so you can continue to train your people. And it's worth that effort. Yeah. Um, but it's a tough thing for power leaders to recognize. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Art, as we close today, I just want to thank you once again for sitting down with me. Um, it's always a joy, particularly to talk about the art of servant leadership too. Yeah, and, and you know, for, for people, I think in this chapter I say that I've, I stepped away from being the CEO. So if you read this chapter, that's no longer accurate. I am, I came back as CEO five years ago, I think, four years ago, um, and still in that role and mm -hmm. am enjoying it. And what I've learned is the, SLI culture and what we do in the servant leadership culture and what we do in SLI, they're very much intertwined. Yeah. And so um, that was a mistake I made by stepping away thinking I, I wanted to do servant leadership full time. That was my calling. When the calling is keep this servant leadership mm -hmm. culture alive in the companies that you run. Yeah. And so that's one correction of the book. And uh, it's always a joy to be with you, Carol, because you were at Baytron before I started. <laughs> and for anybody listening new today, Carol probably knows me better as a leader than anybody else in the organization because she's witnessed my own transformation, both good and bad. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, always great to be with you and to go through and talk about the Daytron story and this great culture of servant leadership. Yeah. So. so be ready for chapter three at some point in the not too distant future here. We'll, we'll give you that program. Yep. And if you want more information about our new webinar and workshop programs, you can find that information on our website on the events page, www.servantleadershipinstitute.com. And we want to continue to bring you programs so that you can continue learning and offer learning opportunities to those you lead. Right. Thanks for being with us. We'll Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, everyone. We hope you enjoyed listening to Art go through his second chapter of his book, The Art of Servant Leadership 2. As a gift to go along with this episode, we would like to give you a discount code you can use when purchasing a copy in our bookstore. Email us at info at servantleadershipinstitute.com with the title Educate to Own and we will send you over the discount code. Also, we have a new webinar coming up on December 5th titled Creating Engaged Teams as a Servant Leader. To get more information on what we will be covering in this webinar and to register, head over to our event section in our web store. That's at www.servantleadershipinstitute.com slash SLI events. Thanks again for listening and allowing us to add value to your day.